and I are surrounded by needs. Uh, as you look at the needs of our world, right now we have big needs like wars going on. Right? We have Russia and Ukraine, and it's kind of a need that doesn't seem like it will ever end. Like, I don't know if you've heard a, a peace plan that's being enacted. I haven't. It just seems like it's continuous war in Russia and Ukraine. You look at Israel and Palestine. It's the same way. Uh, this war seemingly just began, if you're just paying attention all of a sudden, but if you know the history, this war has been going on for years and years, decades upon decades, and it doesn't seem like it will ever end as you look at the needs of our world. As you look at the needs of our, our country, we see shootings and suicides and mental health crisis all on the rise particularly amongst our next generation, particularly amongst our, our young people, we see this. Right? And if you look at our older people, if you look at adults, like we're not doing much better. We have a lot of needs. We have conflict and division and, and polarization more than I've ever seen in my lifetime. I, I saw a, a survey done by Pew Research, and they said this about politics, specifically as we head into an election season. They surveyed people and 65% of people said they felt exhausted just thinking about politics. How many of you say amen to that? 55% of people feel angry when they think about politics. And get this, only 10% feel hopeful as we go into another election. We have some, some needs in our country, do we not? We have some needs in our world. We have some needs in our country. We have some needs in our state. I'm just going to give you a few. Around 9,900 kids in the state of Arizona are in foster care or group homes. Our system, if you don't know, my wife used to work in the foster care system adoption. It is overrun in Arizona. Like they can't navigate it all. We're blessed by uh, having some families in our church who are sort of leading the way in this by actually fostering kids or being respite parents and, and helping other foster parents. But it is a big need in our state. As we look at our, our county, Maricopa County, and, and the people who are experiencing homelessness, uh, the stat that, that I found was about 9,600 people are experiencing homelessness just in our county. As you look at crime, we're blessed to have a few police officers in our church. Super thankful for them. I feel safe even up here on stage with you today because we have these police officers and they were kind enough to relay some, some info to me as well that, that while homicide is actually down just a tad from last year, almost every other category of crime is up. And if you're wondering like geographically, where's the most crime? It's right in our backyard, 19th Avenue just a few streets over from million dollar homes are some of the heaviest hotspots for crime, for trafficking, for drug addiction, drug dealing. It's right in our backyard. There's needs. And listen, just so you know, and it's clear, we're, we're not just a nonprofit, we're a church. Like we care most about spiritual needs. Those are our greatest needs. And as we look at some of those, we, we have a lot of needs in that way as well. 75 to 80% of churches in the US are showing to be in decline. They're not growing up and to the right, they're declining. About 4,700 churches closed their doors in 2023. About 1,500 pastors on average quit every single month. 
And then I know many of you have needs personally. We pray for them every single Monday as a staff. And that's just the ones who are in crisis enough that they feel like they need to ask their pastors for prayer. I know many of you have needs that you never even speak of. Needs financially, the money's tight, inflation's up, your money's down. The debt is raging and you never seem like you can, it's like a cloud just hovering over you all the time and it's crippling your marriage. So you have needs relationally, needs with your, your kids. You just, you don't know how to navigate it, man. I, I'm, I'm a parent of three kids and I have amazing kids, but man, what they're facing in our culture is so hard. And as a parent, I feel inept a lot. We have needs personally, spiritually, emotionally, financially. So my question is, what do we do with all the needs? Some of you are like, Tim, we don't have to share them. Like, happy new year. Why do we have to get so depressing? Well, I'll tell you one thing we don't do with our needs. We're going to talk about it is we don't conceal them. We have to reveal them. We don't suppress them. We have to express them to God. We don't look away from them and try to hide from them and just hope it'll get better because it's a, a turn of a calendar and a new year. No, we face our needs that are big, but we also face a God who is bigger. That's what we're doing today. So I just wanted to remind myself and remind us of our needs and ask this question, how do we navigate them? And I think some of us are thinking, well, Tim, I know how I navigate them. It's by freaking out. I mean, you right now, as I give all these needs, you're like, yes, and I have more and I'm, and I'm anxious now. Thank you, Tim. And, and, but Paul, the apostle Paul and other places in scripture as well, they're gonna call us to do something different as we look at our needs. They're gonna call us to pray. They're gonna call us to surrender, face our needs and surrender them fully to God. And my question, as we close out this prayer series, as we look at all these needs, is are we desperate enough to do that? As believers in Jesus, are we desperate enough to bring our needs to God in prayer? I know we're desperate enough to complain. I have social media too. Right? I know we're desperate enough to, to gossip at times and disguise it as prayer requests, right? I know, I know we're desperate enough to, to worry and be crippled in our worry or be controlling in our worry and be hypervigilant and say, hey, this isn't gonna happen to my kid. This isn't gonna happen to my marriage. That our finances, we're gonna get out of this whole politics. There is hope in my candidate. And some of us, we get controlling. Some of us, we, we get crippled. But are we desperate enough to surrender and pray to a God who's loving enough to care about every single one of your needs and who's also powerful enough to do something about them? Are you desperate enough to go where you should have gone in the first place? Him. And to be honest, my answer sometimes is, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I'm, it's 2024. It seems a lot like 2020, 2021. Like, yeah, crazy out there, man. It's worse than it's ever been. Like, we got to pray. And then we like, just get on our phones. <laughs> or we just complain. Or we just hide by ourselves and say, it's not worth it. People are crazy. God is great. Beer is good. People are crazy. Is that, is that how it goes? Yeah. We just start listening to country music in our desperation. We're so desperate. 
And my question is, will we be desperate enough to do something that, that's actually worthwhile, like talking to the God of the universe who hung the stars in the sky and set the planets in motion and who actually loves you and cares about your needs? Will we give them to God? So that's what we're going to look at. Paul, Paul challenges us to do that. In Philippians chapter 4, you can grab a Bible and head there with me. Paul is talking as a person, not who has every one of his needs filled and solved. He's talking to a person who's in the midst of need. He's chained most likely to a Roman guard in a prison cell. He's in need. He's talking to a young church in Philippi who is in need, in need of joy, in need of maturity, in need of humility, in need of peace. Uh, one of my favorite parts of the book of Philippians is a little bit earlier in chapter four, he calls out two women by name, which I always think about, like, what if my name was in scripture? It is kind of Timothy, okay? That's a different Timothy, if, if you're wondering. But he calls out two ladies by name and, and they would have been reading this letter written to the church at Philippi. Like these two women, it would have been read out loud. And these two women at the beginning of chapter four, they're like, he read, he, our name's in the Bible. But then Paul says, and, and, I, and will you help these two women agree? He's like, will you help these two women get along? I wouldn't want my name in there for that. But he's talking to some people in need. He's a person in need and he's gonna call us to pray in the midst of our need. Let's look at it together. Philippians chapter four, it says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here, here's where we're going today. If you take notes, I want to dissect our natural response to need. And then I want to discover God's supernatural plan for our needs. All right. So natural response to need. Here, here's the first thing that we often do that I often do in my life when I'm facing need. I, I try to conceal it. I, I try to suppress it. If you look at verse six, it says, don't be anxious. And then a little later, he says what we should do instead. He says, let your request be made known to God. And grammar students, if you really look at that, you'll notice that's in the passive tense. Let your request be made known to God. That's what your needs want to do. They don't want to stay stuffed down. They naturally want to come up like a beach ball in water. They want to rise. And so you might say, well, Tim, if that's what they naturally want to do, then, then why does Paul have to tell us to let them be made known? And it's because for the Philippians and for you and I, in the midst of real needs, we try to do everything in our power to push them down, right? You, you see it when you come to church and, and you ask somebody who you know has some financial needs, who you know has some needs in their marriage relationship. Like, you know it. They have some needs physically. They're, like, they're visibly ill. And yet you see them as they're walking in a church and you're like, hey, brother, how are you doing? You're like, and they're like, good. God is good all the time. God is good. And you're like, you kind of have bags under your eyes. Like, have you slept? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing, yeah, a little busy at work right now. Just, I'm doing great. Stuff down and get that beach ball under the water. Right? Many of us, this is how we deal with, with needs. 
And I know this as a pastor because many times when, when the needs actually get to the pastoral staff, they are in crisis. It's not like, hey, we're having a few communication problems in our marriage, Tim. Like, hey, can we, can we go to Grace Marriage? Can we sign up for that? No, it's like, hey, uh, for two years now, we haven't been really speaking to one another. In fact, my husband sleeps in a different room. And we filed paperwork yesterday. What? But I, I saw you guys at church and you were in a community group and, and people did say like, how are you guys doing? And you're like, hey, fine, watching the game later today. And wait, what? Because we typically, we conceal our needs. We don't reveal our needs. We suppress our needs. We don't express our needs. And so Paul says right away, hey, you need to let these needs rise to the surface to God. That's what they're meant to do. So why don't we do it? I mean, we could spend a whole sermon on that, right? We're not going to. But I think there's just a lot of fear. There's a sense of, I want to be approved of. We don't often walk in our identity in Christ that we already have the approval of the God of the universe. Why do I care if you approve of me? We don't do that. And so we want to, we put a smile on it and we're like, I got to uphold the reputation, you know, because I'm kind of a big deal. And we fear that if people only knew, about my marriage, or about my finances, or about my sin, then they wouldn't accept me. And in the midst of that, there's some pride, there's some distrust. Maybe you've been hurt before, and you're like, well, Tim, like, it's valid. Like, I, I, I've shared things before with, with other Christians, and, and sometimes they're jerks. And sometimes they do. They they as a disguised prayer request, they share it with like 10 other people, but it's gossip, Tim. And I don't want to go back there. And I'm just telling you, like, I get all that. But you were designed to let your requests be made known, not stuff them down. And as the pastor of Phoenix Bible Church, I'm committed to this being a place where you can do that. That's why we say it all the time. It's not just a cute phrase to have on a tote bag. Imperfect people moved by the perfect love of Jesus. We just always want to remind each other we're a lot less spiritual than we look. We are imperfect. So drop the pretense and let's share what's going on before it's a crisis, before it destroys us, before we get the divorce. And let's let it be made known to God and to the people of God. Not conceal it, but yet that's what we often and as we conceal it, we're trying to stuff it down because it's meant to rise, right? It's going to rise eventually. It usually rises in the next thing, which is complaining. We don't share with God every one of our needs, but we just start to share with everyone on God's green earth our needs. It's called Facebook, Right? And we're just ranting about everything that we hate and, and life and politics and, and young people and the music at church or, you know, whatever it is. And we just start, it has to rise. But instead of rising in prayer, it rises in complaining. So that's why Paul says, hey, let your requests be made known to God. How do we do it, Paul? Uh, prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. 
that even in the midst of your needs, you, you look and you practice gratitude and you look around and say, man, God, what can I be thankful for? Yes, there are some needs. Yes, there's like a foster crisis in our, in our county, but man, there's a few families in our church right now. I'm looking at them who like are fostering a child. and bring, Man, I'm so thankful for that. Yes, there are, are these needs of homelessness, but man, we're partnering with Phoenix Rescue Mission in so many different ways and, and House of Refuge, which we have an event coming up to tour their facility and they're housing like a hundred homeless people and, and providing for all their needs and churches are partnering with them to provide meals for them every single day. And we look around and we see all the needs, but we see all the provision. We see all God's goodness in the midst of, and we practice gratitude. But many of us, we, we don't do that, right? We, we just complain. Because that's it's the natural response to need. Especially if you've been trying to stuff it down, it's going to come up. And it often comes up as complaining. For many of us, whether we complain or not, those needs often consume us. And this is where the worry and anxiety comes in. And, and I don't know how you're wired. I'm a driven person. I'm a three on the Enneagram. I'm an achiever. And I look at, I look at odds. I look at needs. I look at obstacles. And I think like, how will we get over them? And let me just tell you, my wife loves that about me. She's always just like, you're such a great problem solver. I just appreciate how you always got a plan of action for every one of my needs. <laughs> Some of you know, you've been married a little while, you know, that's the opposite. <laughs> She's like, can you just listen to my needs? I don't need you to try to solve every one of them. But man, I, I, I struggle with anxiety at times. And sometimes for me, it's not crippling, it's controlling. I met with a counselor earlier this year. I met with a counselor, I'm your pastor. You can do so as well, okay? I met with a counselor and I was just talking about some of these things. And he was just like, hey, I think you have like this hypervigilance to make sure like nothing that happened to you when you were a kid is gonna happen to your kids and nothing that happened before in your church is gonna ever happen again. And you just run right around and, and you're gonna try to control everything and just make sure everything works. And I was like, did I pay for this? I don't, I don't wanna, I don't like hearing that. Like, but that's how sometimes I, it consumes me in a controlling way. For some of you, it's like that. For some of you, it's the opposite. It's crippling. It's paralyzing. You just don't get out of bed. You just don't leave the house. You just don't come to church. You just watch online. You come to church, but man, we got like six doors here and you're just like, I'm getting out that way. <laughs> and it starts to consume you and you're just worried and you're anxious. So this is the natural response to need. Listen, all of us do this at times, right? So if you're feeling convicted, that's good, but just know we share in your conviction, okay? Now here's the supernatural response to need. Here's the, the supernatural meaning a Jesus-centered, spirit-reliant response to need. That's one of our marks of a disciple. We have seven that we say, hey, we want for every single one of you, one of them is spirit-reliance. Here, here's what that looks like in the midst of need. The first thing is we pray desperately. Right? We don't conceal, we reveal. We don't suppress, we, we express all of our needs to God. We pray desperately. Paul says, don't be anxious. And some of you never got past that part, right? 
Because you, the reality is you have some anxiety. Let, just a show of hands. Again, this is a safe place. How many of you in your past or present experienced some level of anxiety? Okay. Now, actually, put your hand back up real quick. Um, stop it. <laughs> stop it right now. How many of you have read this verse and that's the way you feel? <laughs> You're like, Paul, that's not helpful, man. Okay, so don't be anxious. Got it. Let's go to lunch. And, and some of you, man, just to be honest, you have some anxiety around this verse on anxiety because that is the way you read it. <laughs> and that is the way you've heard it preached. Like, don't be anxious. It's a command. Stop it. And... and we don't read the rest of the text, right? This is what we do. We take verses out of context and don't, don't read the, the full scope of what Paul is saying. And what I love about Paul is if you keep reading, he says, don't be anxious. But then he says, hey, here's what you do instead. Hey, let your requests be made known to God. And he doesn't even just say that vaguely. He gets really practical, right? He, he says three ways you can do this. Instead of being anxious or in the midst of your anxiety, Here's what you should do. Pray. Praying is just general conversation with God. Supplication, or some translations may put, say petition. That's specific requests. That's getting into the nitty gritty of like, why am I anxious? Is it just because of this test? Is it just because of this job? Is it just because of the finances? Is it just, is it just because of my marriage? Is it just because of this diagnosis? Or is there a, a fear? Is there a pride up under that? Is there some trauma from my past that I need to work out with a counselor, a biblical counselor, a Christian counselor? Is there some things underneath? And do I need, I need to write those things even down, supplications, specific requests to God? And then he says, thanksgiving, to look at who God is and his character and his nature and his person and his work in all the ways that he's even sustaining us in the midst of anxiety. And I've already alluded to it. I, I experience anxiety at times. Uh, I have in my life in, in heavier ways, not as much in those heavy ways now, but I still experience it. Uh, a few years into our marriage, we were in Austin, Texas. My first job out of seminary was helping to plant a church as an associate pastor. And man, I, I did everything from kids ministry to preaching to small groups. It was just, that's kind of where we were in that season. And not only that, I had a, a job on the side of uh, walking dogs. Don't be jealous. And it wasn't just a job. Like I started a company, austindogwalking.com, and I hired employees and, and I had a whole business working. And uh, on the side as well, my third job was a ministry called Apartment Life. They helped pay our, our way at our apartment complex. We basically did ministry there. It was almost like a little church in an apartment complex. So I basically had three jobs. We had a brand new baby that we moved with from seminary when she was two weeks old. And my wife was working full time. And so oftentimes I had our little Neela, who's 14 years old now. <sighs> okay. Um, <laughs> sorry, Neela. Uh, and man, life was just overwhelming with needs. And 
honestly, sometimes like I was doing the church apartment life and I was doing the dog walking and I was walking dogs and I had a stroller with me and God bless. I mean, God is sovereign. Okay. God takes care because one of these specific days I was walking uh, two boxers at crazy dogs. And I had my little like nine week old baby in a stroller and we were going downhill. Can you see where this is headed? I couldn't. (laughs) And man, these dogs went one way and I went the other way. And my daughter in a stroller, she went another way into some bushes, okay? So parents in the room, hey, there's grace for you in this place, all right? And she made it out alive, but like... (laughs) It was, it was a hard season. We were going from daycare to daycare. Like some of them weren't good. Like she fell one time at a daycare. We're like, that's my baby. And like, get her out of there. And I mean, it was just a stressful time. And all that anxiety began to build. And I tried to stuff it, suppress it, suppress it, not express it. And then one night, it was like three o'clock in the morning. I woke up, I was seeing spots. I, I couldn't breathe. It was like a panic attack. And I was like, man, I don't know what's happening. My wife called an ambulance. I went to the hospital. And it just all like came to the surface. It, it was made known in the worst way possible. And I talked to the doctor. They did every test, every heart monitor, because that's been a thing in my family. And they were like, hey, it all checked out clear. You're, you're just stressed. <laughs> you're just anxious. You're doing too much. And you need to pull back. Now, that was a time in my life where I had to get to that kind of crisis moment. How many of you have been there where you're just like, okay, this isn't working? And prayer was my saving grace. Prayer of just releasing these needs to God. I I, I pulled back in my life. We're going to talk about that in a second. Pray and then move. But it started with just like, man, I I am that type uh, A three on the Enneagram, like I try to do everything myself. And I just, man, it takes a lot for me to just like let go of some things and to talk to God about them and be vulnerable in that way. But I was desperate. And so I started that prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. I started writing those things out and just releasing them to God. Things began to change. And things all these years later are different now. I still experience that anxiety but, but I'm a lot quicker to pray, to give that to God, to not try to suppress it, not try to control it, but express it all to God. And he's brought a peace. Some of you think, well, Tim, what, hey, what does that look like? I mean, you're a pastor. You probably have like a special line to God. Like, what does that look like for me? And here's three things just we'll put on the screen that I do. Uh, so this is just nothing special, but just some practical things that I do to submit, to pray desperately about my needs. Uh, the first thing I do is I just write, I am anxious about. I am anxious about. And I try to get really specific. I try to get like not just the need, the surface level need, but the anxiety behind the need. And so if I'm anxious about preaching in front of all you beautiful people on a Sunday, I try to write down, okay, why, okay that's what I'm anxious about. Why? Well, I want our church to grow. Okay, so you think you make the church grow. Okay, just keep writing that down. Oh, because I want, I want everybody to approve of me. So you think like the approval of humans is, is greater than God who's already approved of you in Christ and says, you're my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased with. And to be honest, I just start, I, I do. I start writing those things down. I get punched in the face a little bit, but I need to know why am I really anxious? And what in that is not true? What is that, what, where in that is lies straight from the enemy? Because often that's why you're anxious. It's not just the need. 
It's how the enemy will twist the need. It's how your flesh will twist the need. It's how being by yourself and not having community will twist the need. So I just want to get it all out on paper, and that helps me. And then I don't stop there. That would be a depressing morning devotional. Amen? I continue, and I say, I am thankful for blank. And I start thinking about you guys. And I start thinking about what God has done in our church over the last year. And how there's been 55 baptisms. And how all these people we pray for, like some of them are getting healed. And all these marriages that are broken, and it's really heavy, some of them are trying to work things out and work on reconciliation. I'm thankful for that. And I start thinking about the people who are fostering kids in our church. And I'm thankful for that. I start thanking God for the, the ways that we are acting and moving in the midst of needs in our city and that we have a church who wants to do that, who wants to see love move. It's not just a cute thing to put on a website. And I'm just like, man, I see people in our church just this week. We had people, I don't know if you caught it last week. We had people come down for prayer. It was kind of a spontaneous thing. And one of the things I said was, hey, if you're not in pain, that's great. Come down and pray for somebody else. And so we had like 100 people in the pews, at the altar, just praying for one another. It was beautiful. And one of the things that came out of that was there was a kid who just said, hey, a college student, not a kid, a college student who just said, hey, I have a mission trip. I'm trying to raise $3,000 for this spring break mission trip. Like, I, and I'm nervous. I'm anxious about it. I, my money's not coming in, and, but I'm really excited about this trip and what God's going to do. I love seeing college students on fire for Jesus, don't you? I did a lot of other things in college, the mission trips. So I'm so thankful that they're doing the mission trip and seeing God move in and through their life. And so I'm hearing him say that. And I just said, hey, I don't know what we can do, but just send me an email. And he sent me an email with his needs and his trip. And he was really excited about it. I forwarded that to our, our missions team lead and our executive pastor and our missions team lead, like in five minutes, emails this guy back. And she gave him her phone number. It said, call me anytime. I'd love to hear about your trip. We're meeting next week as the missions team. I'd love to see how we can help. And I just, I write those things down when they happen. There's a lot of crazy stuff that happens in the life of a church, a lot of brokenness. And, and when God shows up and compels a lady who, who doesn't work for our staff to, to give somebody their phone number, a college student, I, I, I thank God for those things. And I write those things down too. And the last thing I do is I say, I'm asking God to do blank. And I get really specific with that too. God, in my kids, I'm asking you to do this. Give them favor with their coaches. Give them favor with their teachers. Save them. God, I'm asking you to do this in our church. Like, man, we want to see more than 55 baptisms this year. Amen? And I'm asking God to do that. Hey, in these marriages that seem dire and doomed, I'm asking you to resurrect them like Jesus from the dead. If you resurrected a person, you can resurrect a marriage. Amen? And we ask bold things because God is a powerful God, amen? He did raise his son Jesus from the dead. And so I, I try to ask bold things in all the midst of these needs. And this is, this is what it can look like to pray desperately. But listen, I know I can give you all, like I can give you that. I can give you acts like ACTS, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I can give you the techniques. But if you don't have the motivation of desperation, you won't pray. So some of you need to look at the needs in our world, the needs in your life, and you need to just honestly ask, am I praying desperately? Am I doing that more than I post on social media? Am I doing that more than I I gossip and tell other people? 
Am I going to a God who's loving and powerful enough to actually do something about it and who wants to? Am I praying desperately? That's what I want for you in the midst of your anxiety, in the midst of your need. And that's what God wants for you. He wants you to bother him. There's no need too great and there's no need too small for his child because he's your father. You know, there's things that happen. My kid, uh, uh, my son had a soccer tournament this weekend and at one of the games I wasn't able to be at. And another parent was like, hey, I don't know if you heard, but like Ashwin was like down on the ground, like seemingly in pain uh, a little bit earlier at last night's game. And I, and I said, no, he, he didn't tell me that. <laughs> I asked him how the game, hey, good. It was great, dad. Didn't tell me that. And I'm like, bro, after, I'm like, I want to know those things. I'm your dad. And I'm a flawed father. God's a faithful father, amen? He wants to know those things. He doesn't want you to try to stuff it or just, God, I'm gonna get through this with your power, but basically my power, and I'm gonna grind this out and I'm gonna show every. No, he wants to know those things. He's a father. So would you, would you pray desperately? The second thing, would you move wisely? Some of you are thinking, Tim, this is great. Like anxiety, needs across the world in my life. And, you know, just pray more. Okay, great. I got that. And, and here's what I would say is most of us, we have a misconception of prayer. We believe prayer is passive. We think, oh, that's cute, Tim. Like, just pray more. Like, uh, that doesn't do anything. And what I would say is if you actually look biblically at prayer, it's nothing like that. That prayer is active. That the rhythm that you see throughout all of Scripture is pray and then move. Pray and then act. You look at the book of Nehemiah, it starts off with this amazing prayer in chapter one. But Nehemiah is 11 chapters. Do you know why? Because they didn't just pray. They built things. They got their hands dirty. They moved powerfully after they prayed. That's the rhythm of scripture. You see it in Jesus Christ. He prays in the garden, John 17. He prays this powerful prayer. But aren't you glad he didn't just pray? He went to the cross. He moved to the cross. He died a gruesome death in your place on your behalf for all your sin, for all your needs. And he rose again and defeated death. He moved. He didn't just pray. Even the apostle Paul, as he says, pray in all these things. A little bit later, a few verses later, he says, what you have seen in me, what you've heard in me, practice these things. You pray and then you move. And that's what we want to model as a church. Again, that's why we do the things we do. That's why we have Financial Peace University. Some of you need to pray about your finances, but you also need to move and sign up for FPU. Some of you need to pray about your marriage. You got some needs in your marriage, some conflict in your marriage. And you need to pray about that. And you need to write it down and tell God what you're anxious about and tell God what you're thankful about and ask him for bold things. And then you need to sign up for Grace Marriage. You need to move. Some of you, as you look at the needs of our city, of our county, of homelessness, of of foster care crisis, you you need to pray. But then you need to move and come to the Refugee 101 class. There's refugees from Afghanistan, the Hazara refugees that are on 19th Avenue here that don't know Jesus and are struggling in a new climate and new culture. And we have some people who go over there like once a week and serve them. And you need to pray for that. But some of you need to to move towards that. We need to pray, but we need to to move. And that's what scripture is calling you to do. 
So we move wisely. And then the last thing is we surrender fully. Early on in our church, uh, like year four, church is about nine years old. Um, we were meeting in a school in downtown Phoenix called ASU Prep Academy. And on a Friday, before we were supposed to have church on a Sunday, I got a call from the school saying, hey, we have some really hard news for you. Uh, we are going to evict your church from our school. And I was like, happy Friday to you too. And I was like, what? It's, we have, what? And they were like, yeah, it's like the Phoenix Union School District and we rent from them and now you're renting from us. And they don't really like that, despite the fact that we'd done that for a few years, even served that school. And they were like, you have six weeks and uh, you guys have to get out. And so it was Friday, I was preparing my sermon for Sunday and I was like, all right, uh, my, my three achiever kicked in and just problem solver kicked in. And I was like, all right, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna preach this sermon just as normal on Sunday. I'm not gonna tell anybody about this. Next week, we're gonna have like a crisis intervention plan with our staff, get on a whiteboard. We're gonna figure this thing out. We're gonna call every place in the valley and try to find a new place to meet at the end of that six weeks. And I remember I called a pastor friend of mine who's a really good friend of mine. And I, I explained to him my great robust plan of action. And he said, Tim, it sounds like you're trying to manage this instead of surrender this to God. And I, I just think as believers and for you as a pastor to lead the way in front of your people, you, you need to surrender it to him. And I said, you're right. And so I got up that Sunday, I scrapped my message I talked a little bit about the way our church started through surrender. And I said, hey, we have another opportunity to do that again. That's the way I said, it was an opportunity. And I told people in the church, hey, we're gonna pray every single day at noon. And if you have a place, a location, like you know somebody, I don't wanna hear about that this week, tell me next week. And we just set our alarms, we prayed every day at noon and it was like the scariest week of my life. But God provided. He brought us a church building we could have a sign out front that was way better than the school we were meeting in that we got evicted out of. And, man, and so many times since then, people have come to me and said, hey, if you guys can do that as an organization, man, I just feel convicted. I can do that as an employee. I can do that in my marriage. And I remember, and it's still, people talk about it. And I'm not saying it's me. It was, I just told you, I want to do something else. Somebody else convicted me and we did something else. But people still today will talk about like surrendering fully in their lives. Like we could do that as a whole organization. They can do that in their lives and God is gonna take care of us. And that's what Paul is calling us to. And that's what he says happens is we don't just get provision, we get peace. And we get a peace that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Here's the reality. I don't know every single person in this room. I don't know all your needs. Even the people that would say, hey, I don't, Tim, I'm kind of doing okay in life. I, I don't even have a lot of needs right now. What I would guarantee you, every single person across this room is searching for, chasing after, pursuing is peace. Peace in that car that's gonna fix your commuter needs. Peace in that, that fourth bedroom that's gonna fix your space needs in your house. Peace in that, that different home that you're gonna move into. Peace in that next position that you wanna apply for and get promoted to. Peace in that one more figure in the bank account, that one more digit that's gonna solve all your problems. And what you need to know is Paul is not talking about that pithy peace. What he's talking about is a powerful peace. He says specifically, it's the peace of God. And it surpasses understanding and it guards your hearts and minds. 
And, and as we see that like surpasses understanding, it's not that it's senseless. Like it's not that it's not logical. It's just kind of hard to explain. It's something you have to experience. It's that kind of peace. It's not worldly peace. It's not the peace that you get from all those material possessions. It's peace from God. You see, many times in culture, it's either I have needs or I have peace, right? I have these financial needs. I have these marital needs. And maybe one day they'll be over and then I will have peace. It's needs or peace. Christian peace is different. Christian peace is not needs or peace. It's peace that gets you through the needs. That's the power of God's peace. It surpasses even understanding. You have to experience it. Listen to me. Some of the most peaceful, joyful people I know, it's not that they have zero needs. No, it's they're submitting, surrendering all their needs to God. There's a lady in our church named Lori. And since I've known her, just over the last few years, she lost her husband. And just recently, she lost her mom. I I had the honor to do the funeral of her husband. And I just remember I was up here on stage and we were talking about the hope uh, that Pete had in heaven. And we were, it was a celebration of life, but it was also a mourning uh, of the death. And man, anytime I've been at funerals and done funerals, and some of you know this, where a spouse loses a spouse, man, you see the spouse get up and it's hard sometimes, right? It's like their best friend. In particular, this situation for decades. And now they're gone. I remember I did my thing and then I sat down and then Lori got up. And I don't think I've seen a woman smile so much with a hope that she had in Jesus, with a peace that she had in Jesus. She was chuckling about all her memories in her marriage. She was so thankful and grateful that everybody had come that day. And it wasn't like a stage thing. Like if you know Lori, you're like, it wasn't like she was like putting on a show. Like I talked to her afterwards and she was still that way. And she was sad about losing her husband. That was a real need, but she had a peace that surpassed all understanding that was guarding her heart and guarding her mind. It was a peace, not peace or need. It was a peace through the need. Do you see it? That's Christian peace. In the midst, some of you have anxiety and some of you it's clinical. Some of you it's, it's just little here and there. And this is a promise that when you have that anxiety, when it raises to the surface, that God will give you a peace as you go to him. Cast all your cares because he cares for you and he'll get you through that anxiety. He'll get you through that marriage that seems dire. That's how good God is. And he'll sustain you through it. Not just when the need is over, he'll get you through it. He'll have you give, give you a peace in the midst of it. Go to that God. Listen, to do that, you're gonna stop having to hold on to your needs like this. To grab a hold of God's peace, you gotta let go of your needs. You can't hold both. And so scripture's kind enough to give us this, this prescription, say, hey, let go, let them be made known. Let them go, open your hands up to God with all of your needs and then grab a hold of his peace. So I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna have our prayer team on the left and right. We're gonna sing about God and his power in the midst of our need. And I would just invite you as I pray right now, if you feel comfortable, just to open your hands like this as a posture of releasing your needs to God, whatever they are, and receiving his peace.
Let's pray together. Father in, he- Father in heaven, I thank you that you are a loving God. God, I thank you that you're a powerful God, that you're both. And that God, you're not surprised by any single need in this room, by the needs in our marriages, by the needs in our sin that nobody else knows about. God, you see them all. And you're powerful enough to change them, God. And I thank you for that. But I thank you that you're also loving enough to care about them, to meet us in the midst of them. Whether it's the crippling anxiety or just kind of a difficulty at our job that's just stressing us out. God, you're you're in the midst of all those things because you love us and you're powerful enough to change them. And God, I pray as a body, whether it's coming down front and receiving prayer that way, or just right where we are as we stand up and sing, that, that we'd remind ourselves of who you are and why don't we come to you more often in prayer? God, I pray that you would move during this time in the midst of our need. We would experience your supernatural peace in the name of Jesus Christ. That is our prayer. I thank you in advance for that reality. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen.